Welcome to the Real Life Church podcast channel. My name is Michael Bame. I am the pastor here, and Real Life Church is all about connecting Jesus to real lives. You can find out more about us at reallifecov.com. We, not only are we starting, are continuing on in our message series, it's called Characters. We've been looking at uh, biblical characters and seeing how, who they are, because sometimes we just don't know and understand where, what their story is all about, or we know bits and pieces, uh, but we also want to know how they connect with Jesus, uh, and then what does that mean for you and for me today? And so I want to take you on that journey, but I want to start with this, uh, a little story about myself. Um, how many of you have a nickname from maybe a parents or uh, grandparents, somebody loving? You just raise your hand. You have a little nickname you were given when you were little or whatever. Yeah, I do too. Um, my dad, when I was really little, about four years old or so, um, he would call me his little bugger. His little bugger. Uh, and the story behind that is uh, he was working on our house in Chisago, Minnesota, and he was laying out the trim for the house, right? He would go out and he'd go in the garage, and he'd take his miter saw, and he'd cut the trim uh, to the right angle and the length and everything like that, and then he'd go into the house to install the trim. And I wanted to help my dad. So I went over to the little miter box, and I used the saw, and I was cutting on it. Uh, and the, the problem is, is that that was the good trim. And so I wasn't strong enough to actually make any good cuts, and so I just marked up the good trim all over the place. So he'd come back out, and here's his trim that he needs to cut some of the waste off and uh, go on. And so even though I was trying to help, I really was just a bug, right? Uh, and so he would go over and work on some uh, scrap trim, and then he would leave, and I would go over and work on that, and then he'd work on the good trim, right? He found a way to get around that uh, because I was his little bugger. Uh, now, it could sound like maybe a little bit a derogatory word or a name, or you know, said he, he's trying to help, he's not, he's just a bug. But my dad always said it with such a, a smile on his face that I would always be his little bugger, right? Uh, no matter how old that I would get to be, I would always be his little bugger. Now, uh, names, right? Names can be really nice that way, right? They can kind of shape who you are. Uh, they can give you a sense of your own identity. Uh, they can even carry you through life. You can always return back to that person that calls you their little bugger, and they would care for you and be loving towards you. Um, but we also know we've encountered names that aren't so nice, right? We felt the weight of those things that people call us that actually were painful. And the problem with that is that we also carry those into life, don't we? They become part of our identity or we wrestle with that identity. And that whole wrestling piece in our names that we've been called is part of the story of what we're gonna look at today. Uh, we're gonna look at this man named Jacob we're going to look at how he got his name, Jacob, what that name means, that his name gets changed because of a change going on inside of him. It gets changed to a new name named Israel. We're going to take a look at what the, that name means. And ultimately, we're going to connect with how that gets connected with Jesus and how Jesus fulfills something about that name Israel that the, the name Israel couldn't do on its own right, or the people of Israel that couldn't do on their own, and then what that means with us today. And it has everything to do with struggle. It has everything to do with struggling in life. That as we start to think about maybe who God is or who we are, that doesn't mean that life goes easy. In fact, when it doesn't go easy, 
we go like, well, God, I thought you were going to be with me, but look at how hard life is. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I don't know how I'm going to repair these broken relationships. I don't know what this is going to mean for me as a person. And every single day and every single moment, life can feel like this heavy weight of a struggle. And it's no different than for Jacob. So we've got a lot to cover today. I'm going to nerd out a little bit. Um, but we're going to have to fly through this, okay? So if you're ready, I want you to open up uh, your Bible or turn on your Bible. Um, use the notes there in the church app if you want to do that and follow along. But we're going to look at Genesis chapter 25. This is where uh, Jacob is going to get his name. And it starts in the background with his parents. Uh, if you remember whose parents are, it's Rebecca and Isaac, okay? So Abraham and Sarah, then they have a child named Isaac, and Isaac has a wife named Rebecca, and she comes on the scene here, and she's having a struggle getting pregnant. And then we're going to see that when she does get pregnant, there's going to be a struggle going on with her, okay? And then when the kids are born, there's going to be a struggle, a lot of struggling, okay? I want to pick up on that. Uh, life is a lot of struggle, even if God is going with you and going to be with you and care for you and protect you, that doesn't mean there isn't going to be a struggle, okay? That's what we're going to see. All right, let's dive in. Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 21. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. She, so she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? Anybody ever ask that about anything in life? Do you see the struggle, right? There's something going on. I finally get to have these children. I become pregnant. But why? Why is it so hard? Why is this happening to me? Okay? Why, why is this happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a second, because let's just think about that for a second. This is the, the birth story of these, these twins, right? And do you think this was kept secret from them? Do you think that maybe they grew up hearing how their birth came to be? What, what God said to their mother about this whole thing? What does that do for the younger son? Saying, ah, he's going to serve me. Now, for, for Jacob, you, you, you can see that there might be some situation like that. That he's like, you're going to serve me because he's going to go about life in finding a way to overpower his brother. He's going to try to find a way to get that rule over him. And it's going to continually be a struggle. And it's going to have some major consequences down the road. Verse 24. And when the time came to, came to give birth, Rebecca discovered she did indeed have twins, right? God said you were going to have twins. And that's exactly what happened. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Harry. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Esau sounds like the Hebrew word for Harry. Yeah, they, I'm not, yeah, they named him Harry. 
because he was hairy. In fact, he will become the nation of Edom, the Edomites. Edom is, sounds like the word red in Hebrew. Yeah, the red hairy dude. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they named him Harry. Then the other twin was born, and, and he, with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Heel Grabber. <laughs> Jacob sounds like the word for heel, and it has this idiom behind it uh, of, of cheating or deceiving or being deceptive or tripping up somebody by grabbing their heel. If you want to really nerd out on that, check out Genesis chapter 3 and see how you can connect those dots, okay? Uh, right? The serpent comes in, and what happens? There's supposed to be one that's coming to crush its heel, and the serpent is going to strike, strike, someone crushes his head, and he's going to strike at the heel. That's where the idiom comes from. Jacob is this little deceiver, conniving, cheating type of person. Would you name your kid that? I mean, honestly. It seems like a really mean thing to do, uh, but really even on the surface of it, we're not seeing that that's a bad thing until later on. What happens is Jacob really fulfills uh, this struggle. He, he's trying to struggle with his brother, his older brother in this life that they have together, and how is he going to have uh, Esau serve him? One of the ways he comes up with is he says, well, I'm going to make some really good soup. And when my brother comes in from the field, he's going to be really hungry and I'll make him give me something for it. And so he takes Esau's firstborn rights to inherit the large portion of the inheritance and Jacob gets it because Esau sells it to him for some food. Now, Rebecca is not innocent in this whole thing. She uh, knows that Isaac wants to bless Esau, give the firstborn blessing, the first thing, so that everything good is going to go for you. She comes up with a way to get Jacob to put on some animal skin, super hairy, right? Because then he can look like Harry and be like Harry and go in and take that blessing from him. They're, they're cheating, they're struggling with, they're trying to get this blessing, they're trying to get the good things that were mentioned about them, of the one serving the, the younger, all by their own means. Certainly a huge struggle. In fact, um, you see that Esau picks up on this, and he sees that Jacob is appropriately named when you look at Genesis 27, verse 36. Esau exclaimed, so after all this happened, Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is heel grabber. For now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Esau gets so mad that he wants to kill Jacob. He, he wants to wait until his father Isaac dies, and then he's going to go and take the life of Jacob. And uh, Rebekah overhears that. And comes up with another plan to get Jacob out of town, right? She wants Jacob to go back to her brother's family um, to find a wife. Because the wives, the women around there, they're not good. They're just bad news. Uh, Esau's more, married some of them and it's been nothing but problems. So they end up sending Jacob back on his journey to go back to her brother's house. It's Laban's house. Um, and on that journey... 
um, Jacob lays down to rest in a place, and he has a dream. And this, in this dream, he sees this big, like, stair away going up into, into heaven. And uh, there's angels, God's messengers, going down and going back up onto, uh, on the stairway. It's basically a place where heaven and earth have come together. It's a place where heaven and earth meet, and God is doing his work in that place. And Jacob had no idea that this was what he is going to call God's house, Bethel, God's house. But here's what he sees at the top of this. Genesis chapter 28, verse 13. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. That's a nice promise, isn't it? Wouldn't you love God to show up in that way? You fall asleep in some place at night because you're out camping, and uh, all of a sudden you have this dream, and you see the stairway, and you see God. You know this is a place where heaven and earth have come together. This is God's very house, and he gives you this wonderful promise. Jacob's not entirely sure about this. Yes, excited and calls it God's house, definitely a place where he met with God. But I'm not quite ready for you to be fully make my God. I, I want to make sure you're actually going to fulfill your promise, God. I want you to actually see, I want you to, uh, I want to see it happening in my life. And he makes this vow to God in uh, Genesis 28, verse 20. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, a lot of ands, isn't there? All right. Then the Lord will certainly be my God. He's not quite ready for this God to be his God yet. Now, you fulfill these things, and it's not even really that big of things. Give me food and clothing. Okay, yeah, that should be fairly easy, right? Be with me, protect me, because uh, he's going to need some protection, mainly from Esau, right? Esau's still wanting to kill him. Um, and if God will actually bring me back to this place, Back, back to my homeland, back to my father's house on this huge journey, yeah, then, yeah, th then I'll do it. Then, then you can be my God. But right now, you're the God of my grandfather, Abraham, and the God of my father, Isaac, but I'm not quite sure about that. Now, he goes into uh, Laban's house. He makes it there. We, some of us are very familiar with the story, but the big thing about this story is that the cheater experiences what it's like to be cheated, the deceiver experienced what it is to be deceived. And there's some kind of change that starts happening in Jacob. There's an inner change that goes on. Now, maybe it started with 
this meeting with God, and it's like, okay, I'm going to see if God is actually going to be with me. I'm going to see if he's actually going to protect me, if he's going to provide for me and keep me safe and bring me safe back home. I'm going to see that. And he gets to a place where he experiences right away that things are not going well. He gets cheated out of something. He wants to marry Rachel, and uh, her father is like, well, you know, we don't actually marry off the younger one before the older one. Right, Jacob? We don't allow the younger one to rule over the older one. Right, Jacob? Message received on Jacob's part. Like, oh, I get it. I took my brother's birthright. I took his, his blessing. Enough said. So I worked seven years for Rachel, uh, but you give me your older daughter, Leah, and want me to work another seven years, 14 years for these two wives. And then even after that, Laban uh, is, is a big cheat, is a big struggle going on here as he says, well, you want to you wanna leave and go back. Well, what's your wages? And he wants to get some of these goats and these sheep from him and uh, comes up with this crazy way of doing it. And you see that there's a change of him depending on what God wants to do and how God's going to provide because it makes no sense in any form that they know, right, of how uh, sheep or goats are uh, bred and they come out and all of that, right? So, but he, can, he has this huge amount of goats now, and he ends up just leaving. He leaves that land. Um, Laban catches up with them, but God warns him not to harm him. So who's protecting Jacob? God is there intervening. He's fighting for Jacob, um, and they make everything right, but they still don't trust each other. Jacob goes on, and now he's going to come and meet with his brother Esau. It's been 20-some years. There could still be some bad blood going on there. His life, even though God has been with him, and God has protected him, and God has provided for him, it has been a struggle. It's been a struggle every step of the way, as there's other people that he's had to struggle with. So just because God is with him, doesn't mean it makes it easy. Just because God is protecting him doesn't mean there isn't some fears that are raised up. Just because God is providing for him doesn't mean that he doesn't know what's the, what's the next thing to come. How will God continue to provide for him? There's an interchange happening with Jacob. He's going from this place of deceiving people to get what he wants to depending on God take care of him, and provide for him, even in the midst of the struggle of life. Every single day, every single moment. We're going to hang on to that because that's going to come out here. We can see the change that happens inside of Jacob as we read his prayer. Right before he's going to go and meet with his brother Esau, he prays to God. And I want you to pay attention to this one. Genesis chapter 32, verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac. Whose God is this? It's not his God, is it? He's talking about this is still. You still haven't fulfilled everything, but he's going to recount some things, okay? O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives. And you promised me I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me. That's a big change for Jacob, isn't it? One of entitlement to now one of going, 
I humbly submit to what you give me. That's a huge change. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. You said you were going to be with me. You said you were going to protect me. You said you were going to bring me back. You've done all those things, but I'm afraid. I'm still afraid. I'm afraid of what this struggle with my brother is going to do. Yes, it could kill me. I'm definitely afraid of that, but look at all of the, that you gave me. What about my children and what about my wives? I'm trusting that to you. There's a change going on inside of him, one of deceiving to one of dependence, that God has provided for him, and now, even in the midst of the struggle, he'll continue to provide. Sound like any of our lives at all? Right? Uh, the, the way in which you, you experience life Sometimes we think like, okay, God, I'm doing the things, right? I'm praying, I'm singing the songs, I'm going to the church, I'm listening to this nerd up front. I'm doing all of this stuff, right? And, and, but I'm still afraid. I, I'm, I still wonder how you're going to protect me. I'm still wondering how you're going to provide for me. I'm still wondering how all of this stuff is going to help me in my life. In this very moment that I'm in. I don't feel like there's a lot of hope. Where's Jacob's hope? Jacob's hope in this, this God is actually going to do what he said he's going to do. His, his whole hope is in that this God is actually going to fulfill what he said he's going to fulfill and protect him from this very moment where he is, he's at fear for his own life and the life of his, his family. He doesn't even mention that, like, if they're all gone, how is God going to bless all these other nations because he said he's going to do that? No, right now, I'm focused on us, right here in this moment. Jacob divides up his family. He's going to take, an, an, uh, he's going to, the night falls. He's going to try to rest, but he doesn't get to rest because a man shows up. A man shows up and wrestles physically with Jacob and wrestles with him all night long. And uh, the man's finally like, just let, let me go. I, I got to go. And Jacob says, not unless you bless me. Now, Jacob knows this is more than just a man. This is another place where heaven and earth have come together and God has wrestled with him. And he won't let him go until he gets this blessing from him. That, that God is actually with him that God is going to fulfill his promises. You bless me. And the way in which this, this comes about, how God blesses Jacob is he changes his name. He changes his name because there's been an interchange that has happened in Jacob. Here's what happens in Genesis 32, verse 27. What is your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob, heel grabber, right? Your name will no longer be heel grabber, the man told him. From now on, you will be called God fights because you have fought with God and with men and have won. God fights. But it's no longer fighting with God. It's no longer fighting with other people. 
the interchange is he sees is that God is actually fighting for him. The, the interchange that happens is he sees no longer does he need to struggle with God and with people, but allow God to fight for him. This dependence on God doing the things that he said he was going to do. We know that Jacob really has this change inside of him because after all of this comes about, God appears to him again and tells him to go back to his house. God says, go to God's house. Go back there. Genesis 35, 1 through 3. Then God said to Jacob, get ready and move to my house, right? The house of God and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. When was that? That was way at the beginning, right? When Esau wanted, Esau wanted to kill him and his mother sent him away to go live with her brother uh, Laban, right? When you fled your brother, who showed up? When you laid down and you took that nap and you saw the stairway, that's God's house. So you're back there at that place. You're going to go to or go to that place. So Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves, and put on clean clothing. We are now going to God's house where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. There now is this allegiance to this God who fights for him. He has seen it with his own eyes. He's experienced it. And it's not going to continue to go easy for him. There's still going to be plenty of struggle. In fact, the, the people that will be his descendants, that will be a nation, they take on his name. God fights. Israel, this whole nation of Israel uh, is going to take that on. And they are going to need to know that God fights for them. And he does fight for them, well, when they're in allegiance with him, right? When they're actually saying, no, you are our God, and, and we will be your people. And God continues to fight for them, even if things don't go easy, even if it looks like it's going to take a miracle for God to provide for them or protect them or to be with them. Now, here's the connecting piece that we get to with Jesus. You've you got to do a little bit of going through the prophets as the Israelite people, um, they get themselves into slavery or they get exiled later on, right? Because they are not following God. They are not uh, allowing God to fight for them. They're actually struggling with God by worshiping other gods. Their allegiance to him uh, has changed. And he wants that interchange to happen with them like it did with Jacob. But what we see happen is God calls out this entire nation and refers to them as his son, the whole group of people. Uh, Hosea picks up on this, Hosea 11.1. 1. When Israel was a child, now they're not talking about Jacob as a little baby, right? They're talking about the infancy of that nation, right? The beginning of that nation. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called my son out of Egypt. What's that referring to? When God brought this nation out of the Exodus, out of slavery, and he brought them to his place, his mountain, where they were going to be his people, a nation of priests, 
a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Right? That's what they were supposed to be. And they failed beautifully at it, right? right? They failed beautifully at that. Time after time, they just don't trust God. They struggle with God. They struggle with other nations. Because even though God is with them, where's our food going to come from? Right? How are you going to take care of us? How are you going to provide with us? Are you really with us? But God continues to fight for them. He goes before them. Now, this is even uh, how uh, the, the writer of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, connects Jesus into the storyline of this. Now, so if the whole nation of Israel can be seen as, as one son, now it's this one son that's going to be and represent this whole nation. Here's how Matthew writes it. Uh, and again, this is coming out of a time that's not going well for uh, Jesus and his family. Uh, chapter 2 of Matthew, verse 14. That night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. Well, why would they need to do that? Because Herod is trying to kill him, right? It's not going well, is it? There's definitely a struggle going on there. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet Hosea. I called my son out of Egypt. Now, you don't just recall, oh, that's a nice little proof text to show that Jesus is connected. No, it, it, it brings up the whole story about how Israel failed to do the thing that God invited them to partner with him to do. And so God in Jesus, God becoming human, is going to fulfill his very promise. He's going to do something for them that they couldn't do for themselves. This is what becomes the hope of not only for the Israel people, that there will be this individual that will rescue them from this, but it becomes the hope for all the peoples of the earth. Finally, now we have a way that we can connect with God, that we can experience God with us wherever we go, that we can see that God is fighting for us, even though we wrestle with things. Uh, We wrestle with our own identity. We wrestle with how how we're going to be provided for. We wrestle with how God protects us. We wrestle with questions like, why can't this be fixed? I'm doing all the right things, God. Why is it still such a struggle? God never said he'd take away the struggle. He said, I will be with you. That is the hope. That is the hope as we say that you are our God. You become our hope. And not just a hope once for at the end of our lives, but every single day, every single moment, every single second of our life, we have this hope. Here's what it looks like in Matthew chapter 12, verse 17. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. No more struggling people. God will bring justice. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised weed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. He is the one that is going to be gentle. In our weakness and being just a barely burning little flicker of a flame on a candle. 
or being a, a weed that's been battered back and forth by winds and storms and we're bruised and we're beaten up. He's not going to snap us off, but he's going to come alongside of us and be with us and fight for us. This is Jesus who is our hope. So in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of all the questions about your own identity and what your life is going to look like here from this moment forward, it takes your allegiance to Jesus for him to be your living hope. Every moment of your life, you have this hope that God fights for you. Even if others, it feels like they're struggling against you. Because life is going to be a struggle. But God, through Jesus, is your living hope. Hey there, hope you enjoyed the sermon today. We love connecting Jesus' life with other people's lives. And hope we were able to do that with you today. If you'd like to know more about us here at Real Life Church, please check us out at reallifecove.com. Thanks for listening.